Welcome to the Sourcing Hero podcast produced by Una, a group purchasing organization that empowers sourcing heroes and Art of Procurement, the world's largest procurement podcast network. I'm your host, Kelly Barner. The goal of the Sourcing Hero podcast is to capture the epic stories of people who are rising up and beating the odds to create exceptional value within procurement directly from those heroes themselves. Today, my guest here on the Sourcing Hero podcast is Mike Franz. Mike is the founder and CEO of ManufacturingPower.com. He's using his experience to transform the way small to medium-sized manufacturers address their MRO spend by acknowledging changes in consumer expectations. So hi, Mike. Thank you so much for being here with me today. Kelly, thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it. Now, I talked a little bit about where you work, what your general experience is, but what are some of the additional details it would be helpful to pe- for people to have to understand your journey to this point? Oh, boy. Well, it's, uh, it's a 20-year journey. It sounds weird to even say that, <laughs> but um, yeah, it's been 20 years of being in and around manufacturing MRO, maintenance, repair, and operational supplies, industrial supplies, um, and it's you know it's been a it's been a, a huge learning experience on how those products are procured, how they're researched, how they're uh, managed, how they're organized. Uh, it's been it's been quite a journey. Um, just a little side note. I tend to call it the triple threat position where I've worked as a, I had a short stint as a materials manager. So I was on the buy side. I've worked for distribution on the sell side, but then also I've sold to distribution as an OEM. So I've seen three different sides of the equation um, that go into procurement of MRO and industrial supplies. So that's not so much a little known fact, but I like to, uh, <laughs> it might give me a little street cred. No, I think it does. And, and I think it's helpful not only to have that experience, for, but for people to know that you have it. I don't know if I count as a triple threat or not, but I certainly leverage the fact that I worked as a procurement professional. Then I worked in consulting at a solution provider. And for the last bit of time, I've been covering the space sort of independently. So if I get even partial credit as my own triple threat, that makes us a double triple today. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think you certainly qualify as a triple threat. Yes, yes, yes. That's uh, that's, and you're the host of a, a podcast like this, so it gives you additional knowledge. So maybe you're a quadruple threat. Oh, interesting. Well, I'll have to think about that. <laughs> um, now we talked a little bit about change, and one of the changes that I know, regardless of where people work in procurement, supply management, more recently even supply chain, that we've all been watching the way that the B2C customer experience has really started to creep in and drive corresponding change in the B2B procurement environment. This is one of the most interesting things to me. So I'm, I'm interested to hear your thoughts about how you're seeing that specifically within manufacturing, especially. Well, I have to agree with you. I mean, the, we all know the challenges that came along with uh, dealing with a, a global pandemic. 
Um, so I won't necessarily get into that. Everybody is quite aware of that. So, um, but one of the interesting things, um, as uh, as I've been talking with customers and potential customers over the course of the last couple of years, um, everyone seems to want or desire the experience that they had or have from the uh, from buying at 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 home for the everyday items that they need, um, commodity type of items. Um, that user experience is, I guess, evolving into uh, what you what what kind of service you get at home and what you kind of expect now. Um, there are challenges and obviously differences between the way things are procured for a business versus the way things are procured at home. But little user interface uh, improvements, the simplicity of some of the things that could be purchased uh, the same way as, say, going to Amazon. Yes. Um, but in a in a business setting, um, those are what people really expect and want uh, as, as far as the experience goes. Um, and the great thing is, you know, technology is really allowing that. You know, there's things that can be integrated together to make that experience much better, much smoother, much faster, um, saving time, money, and effort. And if we can accomplish some of those uh, some of those goals or objectives, I think it's only going to just it, it's only going to improve um, not only the experience but how um, how procurement can become more efficient. Um, it can become not such a pain in the butt. And now I'm, spe- I'm speaking <laughs> specific, specifically of MRO. MRO and industrial supplies is uh, is uh, challenging, and there po- there's a lot of challenges that come along with that. Um, but it's tedious. Uh, it often gets overlooked, maybe a little disorganized. Um, and you know, some of the tools that are out there and available now um, make it easier, faster, more efficient to uh, to take care of some of those tasks. And as long as you can make it um, a better experience for the the person that's um, in charge of those those tasks, um, it only makes for a better um, a work environment. You know, making tasks simpler, easier to do is uh, is part of how to, you know, for employee morale, for yeah. tasks you get done, for, um, you know, showing improvement that can be made. Um, one of the things that I always think about is, you know, there's, especially in manufacturing, it's a, it's a mature industry. And what I mean by that is... Um, in, in certain things, it's it's very much how things have always been done. And there's innovation, definitely. Manufacturing, you know, machines, uh, robots, the way processes are completed, uh, there's innovation everywhere. However, there are some things that are still behind and lagging. And it's nice to see as... I would say um, the older generations are, uh, you know, there's there's succession plans in place for new people coming into the business and into the industry that um, may be more uh, open to new, new technologies, trying new things, and it's really uh, it's really cool to see, especially from my perspective over the course of the last ten years, a lot of a lot of things have been changing or in process to change, 
you know, getting adoption is always uh, a more challenging, but um, focusing on new technologies uh, for portions of the business, maybe even uh, or in procurement is one one area, but having that user experience um, evolve into something that's more so like uh, more like a B2C um, application, if you will, uh, is definitely something people are looking for. Well, and I think those efficiency gains couldn't be emerging at a better time. You know, talent has always been short in procurement. There's always far more work to be done than we possibly yeah. have the headcount or bandwidth to do. And then mm-hmm. on top of that, we're still dealing with the effects of the great resignation. So even if spots are filled, maybe we've had higher than normal turnover. Maybe people are needing training or taking time to get themselves up to speed in new positions. And so I do think companies are looking to both systems and processes to be able to step up and and do more. What have you seen in terms of purposeful use of process change and of technology and, and systems to deliberately allow a smaller team to actually facilitate more transactions or to potentially impact more spend? Mm, that's a great question. Um, I, I'm one for the KISS method. So keep it simple, stupid, yeah. because there's a lot of things that I just don't understand. Um, and the simpler that I can uh, make it in my own head uh, makes it easier for me to understand. And one of those things is I, I'm, I was at the tail end of a generation where Rolodexes were still used. So it's basically business cards that are in a little flippy thing that you have on your desk and you can look at uh, all your contact information on this. Obviously, things have progressed and we have you know, contact information that's stored in a computer. But a lot of uh, um, people that I've dealt with over the course of years um, have a lot of that information memorized in their head and uh, the Rolodex, the the mental Rolodex of who they should call for certain items, um, what businesses they like doing business with, um, who's a higher risk when it comes to um, being a a, a, uh, a a true partner or a trusted advisor, those types of things as people retire or they change jobs or they change positions, some of that stuff can be lost. And now with, um, with technology, it only makes it easier for a person, a, a new person or a less experienced person to come in and more, more so now to be able to just jump into that position and, and see, you know, notes on a, on a, on a particular distributor or a supplier or um, those types of small little simple things that can make that job easier as roles change, as turnover happens. Mm. Um, it's just more of an efficient way to get people up to speed and that's just one example. Kelly, you know a million different examples that are probably higher impact than that. Um, but that's just a simple example that I like to break it down to. Sure. Uh, in a in a manufacturing environment, we deal with small to mid-sized manufacturers where headcount is usually pretty low. People wear a lot of hats 
And in order to, you know, discuss the impact of turnover and getting somebody up to speed quickly, <clears throat> those little, excuse me, those little um, improvements can go a long ways. And, you know, you, you, you can make those small improvements to help um, it just as an example in procurement to get somebody up to speed on if there are distributors or suppliers in the local area that have product that maybe they they weren't even aware of. Um, some of that information can be passed on much easier today than it has in the past. So my procurement is always faced with multiple objectives they're trying to satisfy, but they're trying to satisfy one objective or, or one even stakeholder group without sacrificing what they need on the other hand. So when we look at trying to satisfy an improved buyer experience that meets almost consumer-like standards, but on the other hand, we need to have quality data, clean data, data that meets compliance requirements, what are some of the things that procurement can do to make sure that they're not having to choose between, but they're also realistically satisfying both sets of objectives such that everybody is is happy and gets what they need out of the situation? Kelly, that's a, that's a terrific question. Um, and I'm not sure I have necessarily have the answer to that. Um, however, I think we all know that quality data, data integrity, and compliance are paramount. So we can't sacrifice those particular items. Um, however, uh, with certain technologies, integrations, and new products that are coming onto the market, it seems like every single day, um, they are taking or going to the next step to be able to provide that um, that balance and basically providing um, a trusted resource. So when it comes to data integrity and compliance and how to meet those needs, um, products that are out there now that, uh, that may be able to help not only with that, but also give that user experience, um, that more B2C type of user experience. Now, where I work at Art of Procurement, we actually talk to people all the time, trying to exp mm -hmm. inspire them to imagine the art of the possible. So sure. we've talked about a lot of the challenges and the requirements that have to be satisfied. But when you think about where we're headed, how would you describe what the ideal user experience looks like in a commercial setting? And, and if you want to make it specifically about MRO, that works. If you want to do sort of simply B2B, you know, buying experience, that also works. Mm -hmm. But I'd be interested in your thoughts about what is sort of the art of the possible around what we've discussed today. Yeah, no, that's uh, that's very interesting because, and I'll give you one example of something that I've noticed and have been discussing with uh, not only distributors, but with end users as well over the course of the last two years is specifically one challenge that I've noticed and they have both brought up and have noticed as well is specifically in distribution and in MRO. That's my, that's my bailiwick. So I'll stick with it. <laughs> <laughs> but um, there are certain buying walls and buying barriers that dis distribution can put up that almost make the user experience um, 
it, it kind of backfires. Uh, putting up these buying walls, um, for example, I mean, just as simple as requiring a username and password to enter a site or to have uh, a credit application completed or to have, um, you know, you can't see pricing on an e-commerce site until you actually log in to the site. Um, those are the types of things from a user experience that are getting, I mean, they're outdated. Those are the types of things that simple fixes like those could improve the user experience and make it much easier to do business with. Um, and, and again, I'm, I'm speaking about distribution, sure. but, um, you know, making that, taking down those buying walls or barriers can improve that experience so much and make it more like going on to Amazon, finding, uh, you know, whatever the case may be. If you need a new uh, broom, you're going to go on to Amazon, you see a broom, you make the purchase where there's different steps and hoops that you have to jump through to to make some of those purchases uh, where those barriers are still in place. So I'm not sure if that necessarily answered your question, but um, taking down those those barriers uh, and making that experience a little bit easier, smoother, faster, and um, easier for the end user uh, are definitely a couple things that um, can set set people apart and help them uh, help distribution or suppliers um, get a more satisfactory user experience. Yeah, no, I agree with you. And even having consistent awareness around that, you know, I can remember from my days of being in procurement, I think if you had said to me, well, how is easy is it for somebody in whatever business unit or whatever floor of this building to get what they need? I think I probably would have sort of had a puzzled look on my face like, yeah, I don't know. <laughs> well, that's yeah. a problem. So <laughs> even just the fact that we're talking about it, and I think yeah. we are trying to build our understanding and we're trying to open those lines of communication so that we're not just seeing evidence of poor process in the form of noncompliance. We're actually having dialogue where people are able to say, like, I think your example is a great one that people can relate to both commercially and at home. Well, why do I have to go this far down the process before I can see the price? I, that's going to change how I feel about this very quickly. Give me that piece of information. Um, and I Absolutely. think growing awareness of that within the procurement community is a huge step in the right direction. And just to add to that, Kelly, there's another another very simple example that I, I've seen, I've witnessed it, and I, you know, there's it's obviously something that can be um, changed with certain tools, but even the communication between, and here I go again about manufacturing, um, but even the communication between the shop floor and the procurement department, things can be lost in translation. There can be differences in what a, a word means or this and that, um, as far as how to communicate from the shop floor what somebody needs if there's a line down scenario. And they need a uh, particular, let's just say widget, whatever the case may be. They need something to get up and running as quickly as possible. And the communication between the shop floor and procurement um, or the buyer in, in many scenarios um, can be challenging. And to break down that, that 
um, challenge as well and to find a better way to do things is uh, these are simple things that uh, in many other industries they're handling these things but um, these are things that I've noticed especially you know again back to manufacturing but smaller teams um, it presents a challenge and to your example you know how would people buy things well you know it's uh, hopefully the dialogue is open and people are willing to try new things and to try new technologies in order to make those processes and um, more efficient. Now, Mike, as we start to wrap up our time together, I want to pose to you a, a pairing of questions that I actually present to everyone that joins me here on The Sourcing Hero. And you have a choice. Um, I would love to hear from you either, what is your definition of a sourcing hero? Or <laughs> if you'd like to take a broader approach, how would you describe what heroism looks like in a business environment, you can choose between those two, or or blend them together in some way that works for you. Well, I, I guess I'll I'll take a stab at um, at maybe combining them. Um, you know, when I think of uh, a hero in a business setting, um, it's somebody who's admired or idealized for for having some sort of courage to doing something that others are maybe aren't willing to do. And I brought up the example earlier, uh, excuse me, earlier about doing things the way that they've always been done. And I would think um, in maybe a procurement role or in, you know, any role, um, having the courage to try something maybe a little bit outside the box and seeing it through to success, um, that's, that's a little bit of a definition of a hero to me. Um, being able to take a risk, prove that um, it can be uh, the right choice. Um, that's a that's a to me that's that's somebody who is uh, trying to do a little bit better for the team, trying to help the team, trying to improve the business. Uh, they qualify as a as a business hero to me. No, I think I think that's an interesting definition, and I think all of us have certainly had the the notion of what that means, both challenged and changed over the last couple of years. And I appreciate you you sharing your point of view on that specifically. So Mike Triple Threat, threat France, <laughs> as we as we come to the end of our time, if people have listened to our conversation today and are interested in connecting with you or learning more or reaching out, what do you typically suggest as being the best way for them to get in touch? Uh, to get in touch with me, they can email me directly at mike at manufacturingpower.com or check out my LinkedIn profile, Mike Franz, uh, or they can check us out, uh, check out our website at www.manufacturingpower.com. Um, I'm excited to kind of tell people as well that we're going to be launching a new product uh that will have, uh, it will be connected to manufacturing power, but it's going to be a mobile app that's going to be launching here um, within the next month or so. And uh, more details about that will be coming up soon on LinkedIn, also on the manufacturing power webpage uh, or website. And uh, we're super excited about that. But if anybody wants to get in touch with me, um, please feel free and reach out. Awesome. Thank you so much, Mike. Thanks, Kelly. Re really appreciate it. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Sourcing Hero podcast. 
Join us again next time for more true stories of sourcing and business heroism performed by your colleagues and peers. Look for The Sourcing Hero wherever you get your podcasts, and don't forget to subscribe. Finally, don't forget, sourcing heroism is taking place all around us every day. Keep your eyes open and you're bound to see it. Until next time, I'm your host, Kelly Barner. Stay well and always remember that you can be a hero too.